On this episode of the Voices of Elon Athletics podcast, presented by our friends at State Farm, we get a chance to spend a few moments with one of the guys that was a key member of the Elon soccer family, and who has gone on to great success on the professional and national team stage in Dan Lovitz. Dan, thanks so much for spending a few moments on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for taking the time. One of the great moments in not only Elon's soccer history, but Elon athletics history happened in the fall of 2013 at the NCAA tournament contest against Clemson at Rudd Field. When you found out that you were hosting an NCAA tourney match, do you remember the thoughts that went through your head? We were so excited, obviously. Um, you know, the two previous years we were, you know, bounced from the tournament after taking trips to Coastal Carolina. So, to one, be hosting a game was a huge, a huge sense of pride for us. We knew that it kind of validated the work that we had done that season. We knew that we had a great chance to to win at home more than anything on that stage. And most importantly, we know that Rudd Field was a really, really great place to play. And we knew that it would do us a ton of good if we could attract a big powerhouse school in our first round game. And to have it, you know, be Clemson was kind of a perfect storm in a lot of ways. And we right. knew that a lot, a lot of people would show up, but... We didn't really expect the turnout that ended up coming out, and it just made it, you know, a million times better and a lot more enjoyable. And of course, the result made things a really special night. Thirty-three hundred packed along the fence at Rudd Field, and after a hundred and ten minutes, the Phoenix and Tigers went to PKs with Elon jumping out to the three-one lead. When Clemson missed that third try, and you headed to the fourth round, did you know that you had it? Uh, I can't say that we knew. I think at the end of the day, we felt very confident. We knew that we were playing at home again in those situations, that type of edge, you know, the effect of it is, is really felt on the field, especially. I think it's always daunting to go try to win a penalty kick shootout on the road and to have to not try to climb that mountain at that point in the game when we were exhausted. Um, the stakes <laughs> being aware. I think that we were just elated that we were having to do this at home in front of our fans and we knew that we were confident going up into the shootout and to you know have things go the way they did pretty early in the shootout we knew that we just had to focus and kind of you know cross our t's and dot our i's and focus and we would come out on the other side of it to cap off the night jason waterman who was a walk-on turned starting striker buries the pk and sets off the celebration in one of the most iconic photos for not only Elon soccer, but Elon athletics with him in a dead sprint across the pitch, a jersey in one hand, and his teammates chasing after him. How often do you think about that night? Oh, all the time. All the time. I, I come across, you know, pictures of it, you know, on my phone, online, whatever it may be. And it's, you know, an immediate portal back into that moment, which is so special and contains so many emotions and, you know, to think back when I first started looking at Elon as a program and was excited to be a part of a D1 school and then knowing that we had some exciting big prospect programs that we had on our slate every fall season was really nice. And then, you know, to be going neck and neck with those guys when it came down to tournament time at the end of the season, when it all counts, it was a really special way to kind of measure our growth as a program and to cross that milestone of hosting a game and then to obviously be victorious was incredible and then everything that happened when the the final kick went into the back of the net with waterman it was you know one of those perfect <laughs> moments it was it was just remarkable i mean 
I never, you know, saw that many people on a field at one time. I, you know, was chasing after him and I couldn't find him after about 10 seconds. There were so many other people on the field. So it was just one of those chaotic, you know, blissful moments, honestly. And, you know, to be running past people, giving high fives to people, hugging people I've never seen before in my life. And, you know, other people I just knew from calculus class or whatever it may be. It was just a really, really unique experience. And then to know that we were, you know, getting ready to go out to UCLA and try to do some business over there was, you know, a huge task, another mountain to climb, but one that we were so proud of. And we were just really excited to get going. But it was, you know, like I said, one of those special moments for sure. Two different follow-ups. And you mentioned seeing people that night that maybe you'd not seen since calculus earlier in the week. How special was it to have those relationships throughout the entire campus to the student athlete experience? Uh, for me, that's what it's all about. That's the whole, that's the whole reason you play sports in college. And that's the, that is the pinnacle of the experience right there. I think, you know, we were welcomed in and Elon does such a great job of providing resources and making the athletes feel like normal students for one, but, you know, giving us the tools to do things that other students can't. And that's to represent the school and really, really special nights like that one um you know it, it happens in a lot of different dimensions across a lot of different sports at the school but for us that was it that was our big show um and that was you know an opportunity when you have a lot of eyeballs and a lot of bodies in the crowd that you know historically haven't been there uh soccer was always you know not the biggest drawing sport on campus that's no secret and to have that you know Right. really crucial moment where you have a ton of people at the field you want to entertain them and you want to make them feel proud about the team that's wearing the elon jersey and i think we've nailed that and it was just one of those perfect moments where we were able to you know provide a, a blockbuster night for a lot of first-time viewers and, and hopefully transform them maybe even some of the freshmen into lifelong soccer fans on campus so that that's what it's all about you and I have talked about 2013, but I know that your group also harkens back to the year prior and the experience in 2012. How much did those efforts help to bond this group? Because I would assume that you're still awfully close to each of the guys that you played with. Yeah, I mean, just about all of them. It's it's such a, you know, I always miss this part as, you know, now being a pro, it's, there's nothing like playing with your friends. And that's what college is. And, you know, the professional life and the way things go, you kind of see guys for a couple hours a day when you train, then you go home and, you know, you have to wait till the next day. Or if you have a day off, you don't see anybody. But when you're living, you're eating, you're going to class with the same group of guys, um, it's something special. And you only really find it in college sports. And I think that's across the board. But the most important thing, um, especially those two years and even the, the year before when we were able to you know, win the Southern Conference tournament and, you know, make it get to the NCAA tournament for the first time. Any group that you're able to win with is, you know, a group that you're going to identify with for life. Uh, I think that goes across anything. I, I think it transcends sports even. I think, you know, if you're a part of a team that achieves success, that, um, that lasts for life. And those connections will always be there. And the guys that I went to battle with on the field and achieved greatness with at the collegiate level at Elon, um, you know, those guys will always have a special place in my heart. I know I have one in theirs. And 
you know, you could not see them or even really talk to them in a long time and you could run into them and you would want to give them the biggest hug in the world. And it's like you never missed a beat with them. And that's just the way it is. Visiting with Dan Lovitz on the Voices of Elon Athletics podcast presented by State Farm. Let's transition from the time under the Oaks to a pro career that began north of the border with Toronto FC and then the Montreal Impact. What was it like playing north of the border? It was crazy for me. I had never, you know, I certainly, towards the end of my time at Elon, I started to try to calibrate myself to what I thought life as a pro could be in MLS. And, you know, it certainly didn't include six years um, in Canada. And now looking back on it, it's, it's incredible to think about. But at the time, I had never visited Canada. I thought it was, you know, basically the North Pole. I had never really had a concept of what was up there. I just knew that there were, you know, I guess three Canadian teams in MLS. And somehow I landed on two of them, went on trial to a third um, at one point, And it was amazing. And for me, Toronto was such a great transition um, into professional life because the city was amazing. The club was doing really exciting things at the time. And I was happy to be there more than anything. And as I started to grow, I realized that I needed to really start my career in terms of playing time and having a role amongst the team. And um, it was clear that that opportunity or those opportunities would not really, you know, be coming as consistently as I would like at Toronto. So, um, you know, that's what agents are for. And I reached out to mine and we connected with the club and we decided that I wouldn't finish my contract at Toronto and started looking elsewhere. Now, I was lucky enough to land on my feet um, in Montreal and with a bit of good fortune, stepped in as a starter in a new position, uh, left back, and the rest is history. And, you know, it's been a whirlwind for sure, but, you know, I'm seven years now in the middle of my seventh year, and it's it's a really, really, you know, special thing for me to look back at my time at both of those clubs and in Canada in general and just be so proud of what I was able to accomplish, know that I want to accomplish more, but just to, to have had the opportunity to live in two amazing cities and two very different clubs and cultures uh, is really, really cool. Let's take a quick time out for a word from our friends at CPI Security. Protection you can count on, the conveniences you'll love. Be sure to visit them online at mycpi.com to learn more. I'm going to ask you about Nashville in just a moment, but you being a Philly guy, it dawns on me that you played in the home of two of the original six in the NHL with the Maple Leafs and the Canadiens. Did you have a chance to attend any hockey games? Oh, man, I think double digit um, throughout <laughs> the years. Uh, definitely. I think much more in Toronto because the ownership group kind of overlapped with our group as the, our club and the Maple Leafs and the Raptors and Toronto FC were all owned by the same business. Um, so we had a lot of transferability and we rubbed shoulders with those guys a lot and had good relationships, so we were able to snag tickets all the time, but... That formal connection wasn't um, as strong in Montreal, but the hockey culture was, you know, just as strong, if not stronger. And I grew up a Flyers fan, loved watching guys like Lindros, uh, John LeClaire, Eric Desjardins, a lot of great teams, great players. And um, I considered myself a hockey guy until I was really in Canada and realized <laughs> that I had right to um, you know, it's a religion there. It truly is. I think the only thing I could compare it to is how NFL is in the States in a lot of cities. So it was a really, really overwhelming, you know, 
you know, I was so blown away by their knowledge of the game, their passion for it. And, you know, I remember the first Montreal Canadiens game I went to, it felt like I was in a church more than an arena because everyone was so tuned into the game. They were taking their own stats, you know, and I wasn't seeing a lot of people getting, you know, super drunk and not really watching the game, which is something that I would see in Philadelphia all the time. Um, so I was kind of blown away by it. And I, I just knew that this was something different and something really special. Um, and it made the games a lot of fun to go to when they would win. Uh, it was it was really, really cool. It was really nice to learn a little bit about the history of the sport and get to experience it in those contexts and in those cities, of course. But, um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit closer to calling myself a real hockey guy now, but, you know, nothing compared to a, a person from Toronto or Montreal. Do I have the story right that you were in the Cayman Islands when you found out you'd been traded to Nashville? Yes, sir. I was. Uh, we were playing Cuba uh, with the United States national team, and because of stuff going on in Cuba and their soccer federation, whatever it might be, we had to play at a neutral site um, that was, you know, far from ideal circumstances. But we were, you know, kind of making lemonade out of lemons in that situation, both teams and. You know, the day before the game, I, I start to get a lot of movement on my cell phone and via my agent about a possible move happening. And, you know, knowing that there are some teams that are really making a push to, you know, finish things by that night, uh, the night before the game. And, you know, I was slated to start that game against Cuba. And it was a, it was a whirlwind for sure. I think the timing of it had a lot to do with the expansion draft being the next day and these teams wanting to kind of know where they stood resource wise and roster wise going into a, a really crazy day. A lot of times with the expansion teams. So I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, how I was going to come out on the other side of that, who I was going to be with. Um, and as things sort of developed, it all happened relatively quickly. And I found out that I was going to Nashville and they had agreed to terms with Montreal for a trade and, it was incredibly exciting, a, a whole whirlwind of, of emotions and, you know, knowing about my time in Montreal and what it meant for me to progress to the next level and, you know, being ecstatic that I could return back to the States and play, you know, in America. One national anthem during the games would uh, be an adjustment for me, but nice. And, you know, I think my dream was always to play in MLS and, you know, no discredit to Montreal or to Toronto, but I, I never really felt like that was my true place. I never really felt comfortable. And I loved those years. They were unique to me. The experience was, you know, invaluable. But when I, I get to suit up for an American team in a city like Nashville at a club that's doing such exciting things and has an energy about it that is really unique, it was a hard opportunity to pass up and just one that I'm incredibly thankful to be a part of. First ever season ongoing for Nashville SC and needless to say, the last two months plus have been a bit of a whirlwind. The first ever game, then the tornado that goes through Central Tennessee a week later and then life on hold two weeks after that. What's it been like for somebody new to the Nashville area like yourself? It's been crazy. Um, you know, no pun intended, it's definitely been a whirlwind as well. It's just, uh, you know, people always ask me, you know, how's Nashville? How do you like Nashville? And the answer is I love it, but the truth is I've I really haven't had much of a normal time here so far. And, you know, we were away for preseason all of, uh, you know, better part of January, all of February, and we come back to play our first game, which was just an incredible experience. 
But then we're prepping for, you know, a cross-country trip. We go to Portland, play that game. Midweek, we have the tornado. We come back from Portland, and the next week we have Toronto. That doesn't end up happening because of the virus, and everything gets shut down. So I've really only been here for, you know, about two weeks before everything got shut down. And, you know, one of those weeks was pretty pretty sad, pretty upsetting with the tornado. It was a crazy night Um, for a lot of us. I was safe, luckily. Some of my teammates weren't as lucky in terms of their homes and apartments being destroyed. And it was just a really, really difficult time for the city more than anything. But it was so gratifying. And so um, I was blown away by how the community, the city, the club, how quickly they responded and how positive they were and how we were able to plug into different volunteer opportunities so quickly and felt like we were making a little bit of a difference how everybody was reaching out to the guys on the team that had lost their places, their apartments. Some guys had wives and children, um, pregnant wives, and, you know, letting them know that we would take care of them and let them, you know, stay with us if need be. And they had tons of options, and the club ends up looking after them, and it was it was great to have that piece settled. But it's been it's been really interesting. I'm really excited, obviously. I'm sure everyone is, no matter where you are, for things to get a little bit you know, more normal and back to our regular rhythm of life. But as far as being cooped up somewhere, the weather is starting to turn a little bit here. I'm able to work out and get what I need done. Um, and I'm just trying to stay fit, trying to keep my spirit alive and stay connected with the game in, in as many ways as I can. So I can't complain too much, but uh, I'm incredibly happy to be here, just ready for things to resume again, obviously. Visiting with Dan Lovitz on the Voices of Elon Athletics podcast presented by State Farm. Dan, lots of people dream about putting the crest on their chest and playing for their country, but the actual number get to do so few and far between them. Last January, Coach Burhalter named you to the U.S. national team roster, and you've become a mainstay. Is it possible to, to put the experience into words? Uh, definitely not. I've had enough practice at trying to though. So I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at it again. It's, you know, it's one of those things. I'm a, everyone has a different path. Um, a lot of guys get exposed to the, the U S Academy or the national team at the youth level, um, or just very early in their professional careers, they get tapped to, you know, fit into the system and try to be a part of the organization. But you know, for me, it happened much later in my career. And, you know, timing is everything. And for a lot of reasons, I was never a consistent starter with a position that I was playing consistently. And as soon as that clicked, um, I never really thought it would be as a left fullback, but it was. And I was able to, you know, put together a good body of work in a short amount of time that, you know, identified me as one of the better options in the country of domestic players in that position. And it was incredibly um, humbling to be you know, contacted by Coach Burhalter as he was taking over the, the team and trying to start things in a, a new direction. And you know, more than anything, changed the way people think about and view U.S. soccer. And it was a really exciting time to be a part of it. And you know, that first January camp is you know, your heart's in your throat the whole time. You're, you're trying to you know, make a difference, make sure that you're proving your worth while you're there. Um, and it's great. It is interesting to see all the other guys getting their first shot or, you know, some in their teens, some young 20s, 21, 22. And, you know, at the time I was 27 and, you know, it was a little bit of a strange dynamic, but one that I embraced. And, you know, since then, it, it was all about going back to Montreal, who I was playing for at the time and, you know, 
handling business every weekend, every week, every time I had a game, showing why I deserved to be on that platform and why yeah. I deserved another chance. And that was where my head was at the entire year. I was lucky enough to, you know, be called in a, a couple different times and represent the U.S. in the Gold Cup, a huge tournament. That was a unique experience and one that I'll I'll never forget. And then we finished the year with the first round of the Nation Nations League games. Like I said, we were in Cuba, uh, or we were in the Caymans playing Cuba. That was the last game. Hopefully, we have that to make up the semifinal and final later on this fall, late summer. Hopefully, we can keep that on the slate and it doesn't get affected by all this craziness, but um, it's out of our control. But, you know, putting the, the jersey on, even putting the practice gear on is just a just a huge swell of pride and emotion, and you know it, it makes it really easy to give it everything you got because you know you never know when you'll be back. Let's wrap everything up talking about one of your appearances last year with the U.S. national team, the Gold Cup final in Chicago against Mexico. What do you remember about that match? Oh boy, I remember that we were traveling around the country, playing in a lot of different venues: um, Minnesota, um, Cleveland, Kansas City, and we. We're starting to understand the idea, even when we weren't playing against Mexico, that, you know, there were a lot of fans from these other countries that we're playing against. And it wasn't always as, you know, home dominant of an atmosphere as we expected. And we showed up to Soldier Field. We jogged out for warmups and it was, you know, it felt like we were in Mexico and, you know, we were getting stuff thrown at us. We were getting booed like. You know, the Cowboys get booed in Philadelphia, and it was just a wild, wild experience to jog out and to know that that was the energy and that was going to be the atmosphere for the game. And I think all of us kind of looked at each other, and especially the guys that have been there before and, you know, know what to expect, and nobody flinched and everyone was ready. Um, it was unfortunate that we didn't, you know, get a result out of the game on such a big stage, but, you know, I thought we did well, and, you know, I'm watching from the sideline hoping my number gets called, and, you know, hoping we could steal a goal or two at the end so that whatever cameo I make can turn into an extra time performance yeah. and, you know, maybe help the team win. Um, but those 15, 20 minutes, I forget exactly what it was, was the the most incredible soccer experience I've ever had to, you know, be playing on the field against an opposition as good as Mexico, to be doing it for the national team and to be doing it in a tournament in the final that's uh, a lot of really important things wrapped up into one, you know, short period of time that you work for your whole life as a player. And, you know, again, I'm I'm just disappointed. I didn't score a hat trick and we won the game. That would have been great. Um, you know, incredibly grateful for the experience. You know, I think those nights and those types of experiences just make you a better player, um, a more well-rounded competitor and you know, we took our licks and we moved forward. And I think it was a good learning experience for the team, an immense learning experience for someone like me getting exposed to that level and that, you know, atmosphere. It was incredible. And, you know, I just used that stuff to improve my game, improve myself as a competitor, a teammate, and move forward. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for spending some time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Our thanks once again to Dan Lovitz for spending a few moments on the Voices of Elon Athletics podcast presented by State Farm. Quick reminder, Best Western Plus and Grill 584. Proud to support Elon Athletics and our community during this unique time. Remember the best steakhouse for miles. Still open on a daily basis for all your takeout needs. And if you can't find what you're looking for at the grocery store, then how about taking Grill 584 home with you, cooked or taken home 
to fix yourself. Contact Grill 584 at 584-0479 to learn more about how you can take the best steaks and other items home with you. The Best Western Plus and Grill 584, proud partners of Elon Athletics and all of Alamance County. And Wilson Tire Pros wants you to know they are deemed essential and open in here for all of your automotive needs. They are committed to continuing to offer honest and exceptional service and affordable prices for all customers while maintaining a safe environment for customers and employees. Give them a call, 584-9638, or visit them online at wilsontireandautomotive.com. Once again, our thanks to Dan Lovitz. For Dan, I'm Taylor Durham. Thanks so much for listening to the Voices of Elon Athletics podcast presented by State Farm.